This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers and sisters. Welcome back to the first shorts. Uh, today we are with a companion by the name of Subay'ah bint al Harith al Aslamiyah. Now, I know that a lot of these names can get jumbled up, and I've said multiple times that I hope people start to name their children, inshaAllah ta'ala, after some of these lesser known companions of the Prophet. But I do want to say from now, inshaAllah ta'ala, that uh, a couple of episodes from now, we'll be talking about another bint al Harith that is not the sister of Subayah, but she is a woman, subhanAllah, who has you know one or two prominent incidents about her that give us something important about our faith. Subayah radiallahu ta'ala anha is considered one of the scholars of the companions. Okay, so she's considered one of the fuqaha, the jurists of the companions. And as we've said, not all of the companions were considered amongst the scholars of their generation, right? So you had categories of people, some that were narrators, some that were considered amongst those that were capable to give fatwa in certain areas. Subayah radiallahu ta'ala anha is referred to as one of the scholars of the companions. Imam Ibn Abdul Bar radiallahu ta'ala anhu rahimahullah, he says that the fuqaha of Medina and Kufa, the jurists, the scholars of Medina and Kufa studied with her, narrated from her, including most prominently Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. So she is a woman who would go on to become a scholar of this deen. And we don't know much about her early history, except that she's one of the first people to embrace Islam alongside her husband, whose name was Sa'ad ibn Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Sa'ad ibn Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Subay'ah bint al-Harith al-Aslamiyah radiallahu anha are amongst the first couples to embrace Islam. And they are amongst those who would make hijrah to Abyssinia and to Medina. So they're from the people of the two hijras and amongst those that would be very beloved to the Prophet for their early sacrifices. Now, her story is interesting in that, you know, we learn most about her in the subject of the Idda. And that is because what is most prominent about her husband is his death. So Sa'ad ibn Khawla, uh, عنه, he was, according to, to some uh, biographers, a Persian man from Yemen who was a Halif, an ally, of the tribe of Amr ibn al uh, considered a freed slave, and also considered one, one of the du'afa of Mecca, one of the weak people of Mecca, one of the downtrodden. And in fact, some of the scholars say that he's included amongst that group of people who when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the Prophet sallam, do not turn away those who call upon their Lord uh, day and night seeking his pleasure. Why? Because the elites wanted the Prophet sallam, to expel some of the downtrodden, and then they said, we'll consider your message. And the Prophet ﷺ, of course, was being told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to turn away. Those people that are righteous, those people that are devoted, even if they're considered amongst the weak and insignificant in society, they are significant in the sight of Allah, and it is through them that victory will come. So Sa'ad ibn Khawla, according to some of the Mufassireen, is one of those people that Allah was speaking about amongst the more famous, you know, Miqdad and, and Bilal and uh, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas and others uh, that are spoken about in that regard. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all. So Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he and Subay'ah radiallahu anha embraced Islam, they were immediately amongst that very vulnerable group of people in Mecca. So persecuted heavily, 
and needed to get away from Mecca to escape the persecution. He makes the hijrah to Abyssinia along with Subay'ah. They wait there and then they are amongst the first to make the hijrah to Medina. As soon as they hear the call to make the migration to Medina, they are considered amongst the very first people that arrived in Medina from the community of the Prophet and they stayed with a very famous Ansari that we will be speaking about, Kurthum ibn al-Hadim radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So uh, the fact that they stayed at his place actually says something about how early they made their way to Medina because Kurthum is one of the first people to receive the Muhajideen, the migrants from Mecca in al-Medina. So he goes on and he attends Badr and uh, he was only 25 years old at the, at the Battle of Badr, which tells you that you know, this was a relatively young couple when they embraced Islam. So young couple, uh, we don't know of any children from them and they devote themselves to the Prophet ﷺ. They don't have the protection of any particular tribe in Mecca, which is the case of some of the people we've spoken about. And as Sa'ad ibn Khawla dedicates himself to the Prophet ﷺ in all of the battles, his incident becomes prominent in Fatah Mecca, in the conquest of Mecca. So when they're coming back to Mecca, it's very interesting. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, if you remember, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas anhu, fell ill and the Prophet visited him and Sa'ad thought, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas thought he was going to die. And the Prophet prayed for him and he uh, you know, did ruqya on him. And as a result of that, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas lived much longer than the Prophet right? So the narration about the death of Sa'ad ibn Khawla actually is in the narration of the illness of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. And basically as it goes, it's a long hadith, it's actually in Bukhari. As the Prophet is visiting Sa'ad radiallahu anhu, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, the more famous Sa'ad, and giving him advice on how to you know, divide his inheritance should he die, and comforting him, and reading upon him, and healing him ultimately by the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at the end of that hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, Allahumma amdi bi ashabi hijratahum wa la taruddahum ala aqabihim. Oh Allah, complete the, the hijrah for my companions and do not turn them on their heels. And what that means is that the Prophet ﷺ hated that those who migrated from Mecca to Medina would come back to Mecca and die in Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ wanted them to be able to go back to Medina where they had now settled and that their hijrah would be completed and that they would also uh, die in Al-Madinah rather than in Mecca in this situation. But SubhanAllah, the end of this hadith says, لَكِنْ الْبَائِسُ سَعِدْ بْنُ خَوْلَ That, uh, you know, unfortunately, Sa'id ibn Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anhu died in Fatah Mecca. And uh, the Prophet Sallallahu was, was very saddened uh, by the death of Sa'id ibn Khawla and Tawufiya bi Mecca that he passed away in Mecca. So the Prophet you know, wanted Sa'id ibn Khawla to have that opportunity to go back to Medina as well. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed that he would die in Hajjatul Wada', which is of course a noble death in and of itself, right? So SubhanAllah, it comes full circle, right? He's considered amongst the weak people of Mecca. He goes to Abyssinia, he goes to Medina, he fights all the battles alongside the Prophet He comes back to Mecca, in the conquest of Mecca, and then the, the Hajj uh, that, that came afterwards, Hajjatul Wada', the farewell Hajj, and he dies during Hajjatul Wada', during the farewell Hajj with the Prophet Now, 
Where does Subay'ah come into this? It's very interesting, SubhanAllah. Subay'ah anha was pregnant when he died and she gave birth just two weeks after his death. Just two weeks after his death. So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, of course mentions that the idda, the waiting period of the pregnant, of the widow is four months and 10 days, okay? Now, the discussion becomes, okay, when you're pregnant and you deliver, does your idda stop with the delivery or does it stop with the longer term of four months and 10 days? So her story is going to show up as sort of the deciding factor in some of the confusion or the, you know, uh, the seeking of understanding how to deal with the situation when a widow is pregnant and gives birth, does she observe the idda to four months and 10 days or does she observe the waiting period when the child is born? So Subayya is the case that the Sahaba went back to when they would later on discuss this to say, well, this is actually how we know that it is in fact the shorter of the two terms, not the longer. So if she gives birth, then her idda ends when she gives birth. She does not have to wait for an entire four months and 10 days. So she gave birth two weeks after the death of Sa'ad ibn Khawla. So her idda was very quick. And SubhanAllah, she, um, you know, uh, she immediately after she gave birth, she prepared herself for marriage, okay? And I do wanna actually make this point here that a lot of times it's sort of looked down upon when someone is a widower or widowed that they get married very soon afterwards. And you know, there's some sort of judgment that is made on you know, their love for their deceased spouse and even sometimes you know, judgment about their righteousness and things of that sort. And you, know, uh, you have these misconceptions about sabr, about what patience is and sort of cast those upon them. None of this is in Islam. You find some companions that never got married again and you find some companions that got remarried right away. And that's not because of a lack of love for their deceased spouses. And so you find both of these categories within the deen and that's okay. You should not look down upon these people. So uh, despite her love for Sa'ad ibn Khawla who passed away, was ready to get married while she was still in Nifas, postnatal bleeding. So it's, it's very interesting. Now she's clearly a very beautiful woman and someone who was um, you know, uh, uh, looked for because immediately after two weeks of the death of Sa'ad and she just gave birth, uh, you have two men that came to propose to her. Okay, so follow the story, it's very interesting. Both of the men were young, however, one man was a little older than the other and, and the description is he was kahal, which is above the age of 33. Okay, so you have one man that might have been in his 20s um, and you have another man that was in his 30s or maybe even 40s. And Subay'a is considering these two proposals now after the death of Sa'ad. Now she particularly, she was going to accept the proposal of the younger man, okay? The younger of the two. The older of the two is a man by the name of Abu Sanabil, Abu Sanabil radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now he wanted to delay her a bit because he wanted to wait, you know, one of the, the, the narrations says he wanted her family to come back so that they could convince her to marry him instead. So he said, uh, you know, how is it that I see you? Tajammalti uh, lilkhutab that you have you know, made yourself available to those that are proposing marriage to you and you still have not finished your idda. Okay, you still have to finish your four months and 10 days. So 
he's basically saying that to her. And of course, again, this was a discussion that you'll find even years later, they'll go back to her case. anha, when she heard that, she went to the Prophet to ask him, okay? So Subay'ah hears from a man who is proposing to her that actually when he realized that she's going to propose, that, that she, she might accept the proposal of the other, that your idda might not even be done yet. So she goes to the Prophet and the Prophet confirms to her that her idda ended in fact when she gave birth. Now, who do you think she married out of the two? Right? Is it the younger man or is it Abu Sanabir? She actually ended up marrying Abu Sanabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So it's very interesting. Um, so what, in, in, for whatever reason, it worked and she chose him out of the two uh, suitors that came to her. So subhanAllah, it's, it's a very interesting case with her radiallahu ta'ala anha. And uh, there is one hadith that I'll end with in her situation, which is very unique. And it, it sort of you know, ties into her life story. The Prophet wanted his companions to make their way back to Medina and to die in Medina, hoped that for them. But of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has his, his plans and has his reward for each one of them uh, in whatever circumstances they are. The narration of the hadith, من استطاع أن يموت بالمدينة فليموت بها فإني أشفع لمن يموت بها The Prophet said that whoever amongst you can die in Medina, then let them do so because I will intercede on behalf of whoever dies in Medina. So this is narrated by Ibn Umar from Subay'ah anha. So it shows you that connection. And of course, the implication of the hadith is that a person should try to live in Medina if they could, or a person should stay in Medina, and a person should uh, try to visit it as much as possible, pray in the message of the Prophet And this is something to actually ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, to make dua for, as Umar ibn Khattab would make dua, that Allah would bless him with death in Medina, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him shahada, martyrdom in Medina. So this woman whose husband died in Hajjat al-Wada'a, and that sat in the Prophet ﷺ because the Prophet ﷺ knew that he had left Mecca to go to Abyssinia and to Medina. And she is the narrator of this special hadith as well, that whoever amongst you can die in Medina, then let them do so because that is a way of gaining the intercession of the Prophet ﷺ. Of course, as for Sa'ad bin Khawla, what more do you want? Ta'ala anhu, A person who made both hijras, a person who was in Badr and all of the battles with the Prophet ﷺ, and a person who dies in Hajjat al-Wada' in the farewell Hajj with the Prophet ﷺ. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with Sa'ad ibn Khawla and Subay'ah and all of the companions. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send his peace and blessings upon our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and allow us to dwell and to die in his city and to gain his intercession. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullah khayran. I'll see you all next time, inshaAllah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.